welcome to episode 38 of the Camera Shake podcast with me, Kirsten Nutz and Nick Kirby. Um, it's episode 38. What can I say? We are back in our individual homes because it's another lockdown. And for the, I believe, third time now, we cannot be in the same room together. Uh, anyhow, you know, we're still going to make it happen. So it's not like, it's not like we, it's not like we, we don't know how to do this because ultimately that's how we started in the first lockdown. So it's kind of going back to basics. But before I tell you about our guest today, um, let's just remember that uh, if you're watching this on on, uh, on YouTube, then just hit that subscribe button, do the bell thing and all of that jazz, because that would be awesome. Also leave us a little comment so we know you're actually listening. And that'd be cool. If you're on um, Apple Podcasts or any one of the, uh, the audio type uh, podcast platforms, then uh, do the same thing. You know, send us a little comment, write a little review. That would be awesome. Um, also, if you are in Reno, California, and you're listening or watching this uh, podcast, please get in touch. Uh, I say this all the time. We have a little uh, a little map that we can see in the analytics, and it's always really interesting to see where people are when they when they listen to us. And so we noticed somebody in Reno, uh, California, listening to this podcast. So if that is you, get in touch, send us an email, uh, hit us up on Facebook, or leave us a little comment on uh, on YouTube. Or we're also on Instagram at Camera Shake Podcast. All of that jazz. Uh, that'd be awesome. Um, the reason why I picked Reno this time is because I actually drove through Reno a couple of years ago, and unfortunately, I didn't have time to, to spend any any, uh, any time there. So if that is you, be interesting to hear from you. Anyway, without further ado, episode 38. And today's guest is none other than Ivan Weiss. And I hope I pronounced this correctly. You, you have. Well done. I know your instinct is probably to pronounce it as vice, which, which is fine as well. Yeah, we go for the uh, the, the UK pronunciation. Yes, yeah, th- that is totally my instinct because I am, in fact, German. So, duh. <laughs> <I figured. laughs> you know, um, so yeah, German with Canadian, blah, 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 and all this. So anyway, so Ivan, uh, Ivan is, for those of you who uh, who don't know, uh, Ivan is a portrait and headshot photographer um, based in, in King's Cross in London. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. Cool. And you're also a mentor uh, for the Headshot Crew. That's another thing that I picked up. Yeah, yeah, big, uh, big worldwide organization of uh, headshot and portrait photographers. So that's uh, something that I'm very involved in, especially now during lockdown, as we can't, you know, practice our normal business and have people yeah. in the studio. So um, yeah, spending a lot of time uh, working with other photographers, talking to other photographers, and um, doing stuff like this. Yeah, fantastic. I'm, I'm guessing. Um, all of this has sort of moved online for the time being, right? Yeah, um, I mean, I'm not I'm not producing any new work because uh, I don't have people in the studio. Uh, but I'm doing a fair bit of teaching and a fair bit of just hanging out with photographers and talking and developing ideas. So yeah. uh, that's all we can do at the moment. Well, exactly. I mean, like like I mentioned earlier in the intro, you know, that's that's exactly how we started. And you know, for for those tens of uh, of of listeners <laughs> that have been following this since episode one, there may be somebody. In fact, uh, just another shout out: if if you have listened to this podcast since episode one, please get in touch because, I mean, why wouldn't you? Obviously, um, but you know, we started this because of the um, the, the first lockdown, and uh, both Nick and myself, we found ourselves with, um, you know, with, with everything cancelled, and so we decided this was going to be a good way to, you know stay in touch and talk photography and, you know, and uh, eventually then get other people involved as well and, you know, and just have a chat. <laughs> so yeah, I think, you know, all around, I think the people that are making the the best use of the time are the people that are just 
looking for ways to you know dig in and keep doing something adjacent to their main their main business um, and mm. just find other ways to you know work around it for the for the meantime so it's mm. you know the the mind is still working even if the even if the the shutter isn't you know well that's the thing i mean that's, you know this was one thing um that both that that really i think touched both nick and, and myself um again so back in like april or something you know april may um when i think w- within our circle of friends you know there was a lot of uh, frustration that you know people couldn't take the camera and they couldn't work and they couldn't shoot the kind of stuff that they would ordinarily shoot um and so you know we again we thought like well you know what what can we do to get people together and get people talking and you know uh, so that so that people realize that actually you know you're not alone you're not the only person feeling like this you know we're all in the same boat um and you know maybe that somebody might have some great idea <laughs> of alternatives you know so um now uh, eventually I want to talk to you about you know how you got into headshot photography and all of that but um before we get into all of that now you were actually meant to appear on on the podcast um a few weeks ago and that didn't work out because you ended up with covid yeah 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 i got sick how did like how how did you like how did that make you feel um well it's it's not pleasant um i'm you know through all of this, um, I have to keep just kind of counting my blessings and saying, well, you know, I'm in a more fortunate position than many other people. I don't have a, you know, I don't have kids to look after. Um, I, you know, I can survive for a bit without an income. I've got some money in the bank. So I got sick, I got tested, um, and I spent three weeks in bed, unable to do anything. I was a bit worried, for a while about, you know, how, how long is this going to drag on? Am I going to end up in hospital or something? Mm. Um, but fortunately, yeah, it was just, you know, extreme fatigue. Um, I couldn't string together a sentence. I, I, at the start I thought, fine, like I'll be able to take a call and talk photography. And I realized quite quickly, I wasn't, (laughs) I wasn't able to make sense to anyone. Um, you know, really high fever and all of that. So, uh, yeah, I just stayed in bed for three weeks, and and luckily I came out the other side. So um, yeah, that's where we are. So it's really lucky that you didn't end up in hospital because yeah, I mean, like right now, I think you know the situation is terrible for for mm. people who need hospitalisation. So yeah. yeah, fingers crossed, we um, start improving uh, the situation soon. Yeah, I mean, right now at the beginning of January, I've, I've just been watching the news this morning and. Um, like the, the hospital situation in London in particular just doesn't look particularly rosy right now. Yeah. yeah. It's a, we've just declared an emergency in London because the, the hospital situation is we no longer have, no longer have room for anyone, even if they've broken their leg in a you know car crash, yeah. you're not going to get into a hospital. So that's kind of worrying. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, it's, you know, it's better to stay at home <laughs> for yeah. sure. Yeah. Although of course, you know, People are fond of reminding us that the majority of accidents happen in the home. So while you're at home, don't climb a ladder, don't ah. <laughs> don't, don't take up you know spot welding or don't yeah. use a hammer. You know, <laughs> just, just stay in beds. Just spot welding. I knew there was something I needed needed to start doing. That was it. Uh, <laughs> Nick, yeah. where was it? When was the last time you've left the house? Uh, that's a great question. I think I've been out of the house once in the last week. Yeah. 
And that that's bad because I should be going out for a walk or something at the very least, right? You know, just yeah. to get some fresh air, just to feel a little bit normal. But I've been um, been quite lax on that in the in the last week. So um, thankfully, I've been fairly busy, uh, which has meant actually it's been okay to be indoors. But um, mm. yeah, that's a good reminder. Actually, that goes for everybody. Get out at least once a day. It's good for you on a, on so many levels. I mean, just yeah. a little bit of sunlight, vitamin D is good for you. And uh, just changing the scenery a bit from staring at the, yeah. the floors of your house is, is good for the mind, I think. But yeah, mm. be careful. You know, I've spoken about it a couple of times actually on on the podcast that, you know, particularly the first, first lockdown, I didn't realise until very late on how badly it was actually affecting me, um, you know, men- mentally. And sort of as as time went on, um, I set myself just a little photography project around my local village uh, to go out every day and take a photo of something that resonated with me on that particular day and post it somewhere. And I tell you what, that was a huge catalyst to just feeling a bit more normal, a bit better Mm. and start getting my, my head back straight and feeling creative, feeling productive again. So yeah, I can't recommend going out just for an hour a day. It, it, it ties into, um, I can't remember who, who said it. There's a great quote, uh, inspiration is for amateurs. Um, and you know, the idea being, yeah, just get up, go out, take some pictures every day. And that will be the thing that drives an idea, a spark that leads to something creative rather than sitting there waiting to feel like oh, I've got this great idea and, and getting to work on it, especially at a time when, you know, we've, we've got such a sort of reduced or suppressed amount of stimulus because everything's on lockdown. You know, if you, if you wait to be inspired, you'll probably spend the whole two months of this lockdown doing nothing, um, which, which is fine. You know, if, if, if that works for you, that that's fine. But, if you just set yourself some tiny little project and get up and, yeah. and go and do it every day, it will it will generate something, and and that's the way you have to approach it. I think. God, I couldn't couldn't agree with that anymore. I really couldn't. Just being being creative sparks creativity, and that 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 that's it. I like I liken it a little bit to, um, uh, you know, you, you you hear you know very successful people. They don't have to be photographers or or videographers. Just anyone who's successful. Oh, how did you how did you manage that? And so, you're just you're so lucky. It's it's not luck. Mm-hmm. It's they those people make their own luck by being in and around mm. doing that type of thing all the time because they're always trying to do it. So usually because they love doing it and. As soon as you're in that, it breeds more. It breeds more, and you get connected with more people. And so, I like and all that kind of stuff, all in the same same way. If you, unless you're doing it, nothing's ever going to change or, or happen, right? Absolutely, and and that's why I think so many of us are so frustrated during you know during these periods of lockdown because we perhaps don't notice or take for granted the you know the the creative stimulus that we get just by going and doing our daily job. You know, maybe your daily job as a photographer is quite repetitive, but there will be a small challenge or a new problem every day that you have to solve. And that's that's creativity. Um, and that's taken away during lockdown. So you, you mm-hmm. kind of have to just give yourself that little push to to put yourself in, in a situation where you are solving a problem or making a decision. And it doesn't have to be anything big at all. Like, you know, great, great example. Go out and do a 10 minute walk and make one picture mm. every day. That, so that, simple. That, I'll keep you going. 
That's yeah, exactly man. that's exactly what Nick did um, around his local area, and uh, and so you know, inspired by that, I thought a couple of weeks ago, I thought, I can't write. That's a really good idea. I need to do this, you know, to get myself out of bed. And I kind of figured, you know, what if I got up really, really early and photographed the sunrise in my local park, right? Um, yeah, uh, I, I got myself there at five o'clock in the morning and it was bleak. <laughs> there was no sunrise. <laughs> it was cold as hell and that was it. But, you know, but I got up early. I got myself out. It was actually, not, it, was, it was a nice walk, you know, but uh, but no photo, unfortunately. <laughs> Check, check check the the time of the sunrise where you are before you get up and go out. Well, exactly, exactly. But you know, I mean, it was fun. We did the um in the in the first lockdown, Nick and me did this little photo challenge thing where we challenged each other to creating a photo uh, so from a weekly basis as sort of a, a challenge. Now we would talk about it, and sometimes we would have a guest on, and they would like critique it, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And we, I think we we try to push ourselves in picking uh, type of you know subjects that we weren't necessarily very familiar with. You know, and uh, and that was good. I mean, that was good. We should do that again, Nick. God, yeah, we really should. And yeah. you know what we should do? We should invite every guest we've had on to <laughs> ah! participate too. Yes. Sure. Yeah, yeah, I'm up for it. Ivan, okay, you're in. That's it. Done. Perfect. Done. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, cool. Well, but before the end of this uh, this episode, we need to decide on a subject or something or whatever, and then uh, then make something out of that. We, we've been talking about how um, how COVID uh, affected you health wise. Um, and, and I'm really, I mean, I'm, I'm really, really glad, uh, to see you better and, you know, and we're going to finally have this, this conversation because, you know, that's always a shocker when, when, I don't know, I don't know about you, but like whenever I hear, um, within like my circle of friends or family or something, whenever I hear that somebody's got COVID, it's like, whoa, okay, that's, you know, not cool. Um, but how did, how did the pandemic and everything affect your, like your business and your livelihood in 2020? The, the 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 first and most obvious effect is that basically in the last 12 months i've worked for six months so there's a major dent in my income mm-hmm. um and a major dent in the i would say the momentum that a, that a business needs you know um it's really it's not it's not just a question of you know earning a certain figure a of money a day it's it's about how you know if i work with a client on monday that client is probably posting their pictures on social media on friday which will be seen by their friends and their network which brings me and all of that stuff dries up so um having to come out of lockdown get going again get back up to speed and then shut down again and then you know doing that several times has been a major interruption um but some good things have come from it as well i mean um you know not to say that i would welcome another pandemic by any by any means um but you know in the spirit of sort of making the best of things um during the first lockdown which was the longest and probably the most uncertain for us because we, we just really had no idea where it was going i took a lot of time to think about what what was really important to me, what I was really missing about being able to, you know, do my job. Um, and I resolved to really, um, dig in and, and push more for that side of the business to develop once I was allowed to, to come out of lockdown. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's been quite beneficial. I mean, I, I've always done a mix of work, 
um, from what you might call creative or dramatic portraiture through to more sort of straightforward um, commercial headshots. Um, and I find the creative and dramatic stuff more interesting. So I redid my website, redid my portfolio, redid all my advertising so that I was putting out just the work that I really enjoy shooting rather than trying to sort of cover my bases or hedge my bets by putting out a mix of work so I could find a mix of clients. And, and I found that, yeah, the, the client base responded by, you know, I, I still get occasional requests for, you know, going in and doing plain, simple white background stuff. Um, but more and more the clients come to me because they like the specific look of the work that I'm showing on my social media, on my website. Um, so that means I'm getting to do more of the stuff that I like when I'm open, which is, which is not a bad benefit to, to have come out of this year. So it's a bit more, I'm a bit more focused, I would say on, on specifically what I, what I really want to do. Well, I think I can, I can actually, I can totally see that because, um, it's, it's the same thing kind of went through my head over the last eight months, 10 months or something. Um, you know, I, like personally, I haven't, you know, I, I shoot portraits and, uh, and, and headshots. Um, but I really just got into, into the, the corporate headshot kind of world. Um, and th the same thing went through my head um, early on, like in, in 2020, you know, I kept thinking like, well, you know, the white backgrounds, that's all, that's all well and good, but that's not really what I enjoy doing. I enjoy doing different things, you know? So, um, so that's, you know, I haven't quite moved my business in the, into, into that direction just yet. Maybe because I'm, I don't know, maybe I'm hesitant a little bit or something. I don't know. Um, but, uh, but I, I really, I can, I can sort of sense that that's, that's the way it's going. The other thing, you know, I thought oh, I've, I sort of learned was that I actually really, I enjoy, um, shooting actors more than I enjoy shooting corporate people. Mm -hmm. If that makes any sense. And that was, uh, it, that's really, that happened just literally just before the pandemic hit in at the beginning of, of 2020, like February, March or something. Um, I decided to, to give that a shot and, and get slightly into that. Um, and that was going actually really quite well. And then somebody switched up the light, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, so yeah, so that's, a. um, that's something I'm, I'm personally kind of moving towards, I think as well as, it's definitely more, um, I, 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 you know, I, I don't think it matters what, what it is, you know, if, if you decide that the thing that really excites you is taking pictures of horses or, you know, what, whatever it is, mm. we, we've got a kind of, a, an inbuilt risk-free period here. Like mm. normally when you think about changing your business or changing your advertising strategy, there's the fear of what if my bookings drop off mm. right now, I'm getting no bookings because I can't legally have any bookings. Yeah. So it's like, you can, you can use this time to test out ideas. Uh, what happens if I change my website to only show pictures of horses? Yeah. Am I still going to get any inquiries? Yeah. Uh, we, we've got the time to, and the space to, to, to do that. Um, and I think that's one of the things that we, as photographers, we can be doing that's productive while we've got this kind of enforced mm. downtime. Um, and that means that you'll come out of it with more direction, more focus, um, and hopefully more enjoyment from the work that you, that you subsequently get to get to do, which is, yeah. you know, that has to be the aim, right? 
Absolutely. Uh, I think both Nick and, Nick and me have discovered actually through this, um, through this pandemic that we really quite enjoy shooting cars, uh-huh. <laughs> um, which I, to be honest, never really occurred to me beforehand, you know, really, but, uh, it was, um, I think sometime in the summer where we're coming out of the first lockdown and things were sort of opening up again, um, we couldn't quite uh, shoot people, but we could shoot cars. And so we sort of got into that a little bit and that was really, that was great fun. So that's really something we've decided we, we're going to, um, we're going to pursue a little bit. Excellent. You know? so, uh, that, that's perfect. I mean, that's, that's the perfect illustration of it, isn't it? Just, yeah. you know, being forced into a, a bit of a corner and you found the way out was to slightly pivot. I mean, I think yeah. a lot of people are doing that. Exactly. And, and of course, you know, most likely that wouldn't have happened had it not been for the pandemic, you know, just like, just like this podcast wouldn't have most likely, you know, would have started in 2029. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Otherwise. So, um, now, um, What's the difference between, a, I mean, just for our listeners, and I'm, I'm going to get you to answer this. Um, so for, for our listeners who may be not, not that familiar with that, so with the, um, the distinction between a headshot and a portrait, like right. how would you, is there a difference? <laughs> Do you see a difference at all? Or is that, how would you? There's a long answer and a short answer. I, I mean, the short answer that I usually give is there isn't a difference. Um, it, it's a headshot if you use it as a headshot. If you think of it in terms of portrait as as the broadest definition of it's a picture of a person, okay? Uh, and we can argue about that. You could have a picture of a lemon wearing some sunglasses and call it a portrait, but there we're anthropomorphizing the lemon, so it's yeah. essentially a picture. Of, it's a picture of a person or a personality. Um, a headshot is a subset of portraits in that it's generally accepted that a headshot has a specific purpose, which is, in the broadest terms, to get a person hired, promoted, noticed, swiped right, or, or whatever, right? So it's it's a, a picture that's intended to present the person in a positive light for the purposes of some kind of promotion. Mm. Um, so... If we if we take that angle, it's quite easy then to say, so a headshot should present somebody looking their best. If it's in a business context, they should be dressed as if they're going into a meeting and they should look like, you know, their collar's straight and their tie is done properly and their hair is neat and all of those things. But that's making the assumption that that's the context that they work in. If you take a headshot of somebody who's a, you know, a bass player in a punk band, maybe they're not going to be wearing a tie. Maybe they're not going to be wearing a shirt. Maybe they've got lots of tattoos. So the, all of those rules go out of the window when you take into consideration the individual use that the person wants to make of the headshot. Um, and, and then the other, the other side of it is that I think photographers make life difficult for themselves by talking about portraits and headshots as if they were very specifically defined different things. Mm. If you ask five photographers, you'll get six different answers. And I think that for the majority of us, our clients don't know or care about that difference. When, when a client comes to me, what whatever language they use, whatever they're saying to me, what they mean is I want a cool picture of my face. And if you want to call that a headshot or a portrait, or whatever, that's all fine. Um, but the brief is 
yeah, make make a make a good picture of my face. Um, and then based on the discussion that I have with them and what kind of work they do and what kind of work they want to do and all of those things, we can then define whether it's going to be, you know, evenly lit and very much about presenting this is what they look like, or if it's going to be, you know, shadowy and heavily color graded and being more about creating a mood or a feeling, um, you know, that, that's the, that's the, the most important distinction to make and and what label you put on it, I think is kind of immaterial unless you're talking to other photographers in a context where you need to make a distinction. Uh, but then you kind of have to decide on mm. an accepted definition at the start of the discussion. Cause as I say, everyone's going to have a, a different interpretation. Um, it's not uncommon that I get comments from other photographers on social media saying that's not a headshot. I say, well, I sold it as a headshot. It's being used <laughs> yeah. as a headshot. Yeah. Walks like a duck, talks like a duck. Yeah. So how, like, what kind of questions do you ask your, or how, like, how do you ascertain, um, how do you ascertain that uh, with a client uh, to start with? Is that a conversation that you have at the beginning or what kind of questions do you ask them? Or do you have like a, almost like a questionnaire that, that uh, people fill out before? I, I don't have a questionnaire. I mean, I, I don't, that's not really my thing. I don't really like paperwork. I don't think it creates the right mood for, for what I do. Um, but obviously I'll, I'll have a bit of an idea about a person when they book, I have a quick look around on, on the internet to see what I can find about them, um, to give me a bit of context. Um, you know, that that's gonna, that's gonna be the sort of the biggest decider really. Um, if they are, uh, you know, somebody working in, health and well-being that's going to be significantly different from somebody who as i say is you know a bass player in a punk band mm. um but then when they come into the studio i shoot tethered um they see every every capture as it as it comes up um so i get a sort of a collaborative feedback process going i judge what they like but also you know if they've come to me it's because they've seen my work. So that there is already uh, a, a bit of direction there. Um, you know, presumably, presumably they like some of my previous stuff. Yeah. Otherwise you'd have to question why, why they're coming in. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a, it's a combination of those things. Um, and then some people, you know, want to, want to have a whole range of things because not everybody has a sort of single purpose in life. Like photographers tend to, some people have like, a day job and then something they do in the evening and then, you know, a, a hobby or sport that they do at the weekend and they want to look differently on their family Facebook page to how they look on their Tinder profile or whatever. Mm. So we can go through, you know, a, a whole variety of different looks and moods within one session to fit all of the different uh, purposes of, of how they want to use their pictures. I, I fully agree with you. Um, with with what you said earlier, you know, when when people come to to see you, most likely they would have looked at your previous work, and and your portrait style is really very distinctive, I would say. Um, and I mean, so so it's, it's easy to understand how somebody would look at it and go like, "Oh, I love that style. That's wicked." You know, I would I would have a a portrait like that. You know, mm -hmm. and then so yeah, I mean, because um, for those of for those of our listeners who haven't um, checked out Evans, uh, even Ivan. Ivan's um, uh, portrait style, all the uh, the web 
you know, website details and everything are all in the description. And of course, go and check that out. Uh, I promise you, you won't be disappointed. Um, but how would you how would you describe your your style? This this there are a number of really um, sort of defining features to that. Sure, um, I, I, I like I like the idea that the purpose of a picture is to present somebody as interesting. That that's my that's my golden rule. Um, I, I'm not. I'm not too worried or concerned with making people look beautiful, making people look perfect, making people look anything other than interesting. Because I, th I think that that's the is the most precious thing that, that, that we have as humans. It's the, it's the strongest currency that we have as humans. If you, if you are interesting, if you can hold people's interests, then you can, you can do pretty much anything. You can start a conversation. You can, you can share an idea. Um, a lot of photographers, I think fall into the trap of thinking that everybody has to look beautiful and, and that, you know, there's nothing wrong with being beautiful, of course. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but it's not the most important thing. So, so interest is, is certainly the, the goal for, for every picture that I take. Um, and, and then that combines with a lot of things that are just sort of my aesthetic, you know, my, my tastes. Um, I like a particular set of rich, warm colors, I like to use shadow to make a picture interesting and direct the viewer's eye to a, you know, to, to specific parts of the image. Um, and I, I just like playing with, with light. I mean, that's, that's a sort of childish, you know, um, creative thing that I get to do for a, for a living, which is, which is quite kind of amazing still, um, that, that, that people are willing to pay me to, to mess around with lights for a living, but, um, yeah, <laughs> it's fun. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's the sort of the, the coming together of, of all of those things. Um, I, I guess I'm, I'm known for creating dramatic images because I use strong colors and strong contrast, uh, and heavy shadows. Um, but hopefully the thing that that's most evident is that all of the people in my pictures look really interesting. Can you talk us through kind of um, how your your mind starts working when a client first comes into the studio as mm. to, okay, what am I going to do for this client? How am I going to make that person interesting? Because I'm guessing not everyone can be the same, so to speak, and everyone's going to you know, have a slightly different approach for everyone. How, how does your thought process kind of go? I don't really experience it as a thought process. I, I spend a lot of time thinking about photography when I'm not with clients. Mm -hmm. um, and that's one of the things that I've been doing during, during lockdown a lot this year. Um, and, and I, I think the process is that I do a lot of conscious thought about, um, lighting setups and color schemes and post-production and, and all of those things. And they all go into a sort of some sort of badly organized bank of, of ideas. Um, it, it, it kind of, if, if, well, I'm not on my, my desktop, but if I showed you uh, my desktop computer, the, the actual desktop of that, that's, that's how I organize my ideas. I just write a note or take a screenshot and it sits on the desktop and there's thousands and thousands of things on my desktop, which is probably a terrible idea um, in terms of how I use my computer, but it's fine. Um, and then when I'm looking through the viewfinder at the person, 
it it will remind me of something that I've already thought of or remind me of something that I've already seen, maybe consciously enough that I know exactly what I want to do, or maybe just that sort of hint of a, ah, yeah, that that's vaguely, I, I think, I think I know something's going to work here. Um, and, and you just, just do it. Um, you know, the, the creative process I think is best when you, 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 you're least hindered. Um, so I'm perfectly fine with the idea of shooting, you know, 500 pictures and throwing 99% of them away. Um, a week after the session, you won't care about that 99% that you threw away. Um, you'll care about the one shot or the 10 shots or whatever that, that have made it onto your social media that are being used um, you know, in, in the real world. Um, so it's, yeah, not, not really that thought out when I'm there with the client, I do all of the thinking in my, in my spare time. Yeah. So because, because you've done all that thought process up front in, in general, it's, it's instinctive, I guess at the moment, right? Yeah. 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 It it feels that way. Um, And and it's, it's similar to, I mean, a, a, a good analogy is the, the technical side of things. Um, so I, I work with the same equipment every shoot, uh, and I, I know that stuff backwards. So, I mean, it, it's, it sometimes uh, it catches me out. I think, well, yeah, like if I want to put this kind of spin on it, I'll just move that light that way. And maybe three years ago, that was a massive mystery to me. Like, oh my God, how do you do that? But you practice it, you go through drills, you do it over and over again. And then it becomes just instinctive that while having a conversation, I can, you know, move to a six light setup without, without breaking the sweat. Um, and it looks the way that I want it to look. Uh, and that, and that feels like it's, you know, the simplest thing in the world now, uh, because I do it every day. Well, see, this is one of the things um, that that was that I did during the during the lockdown uh, period was really, you know, I was experimenting on myself quite a lot, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, and so I've also created an extraordinary amount of selfies, <laughs> very elaborate selfies, you know, mm-hmm. that. But but actually, you know, it's um, it's been super fun. You know, I've, um, I think photographically, I think um, it's done two things for me. One is I think it's changed. It, well, it's changed what I can do because it's changed what I know. Um, but it's also really, uh, like I said earlier, you know, it's, it's really sort of uh, ascertained the direction that I th- that I want to move into when mm-hmm. you know if things go back to normal. So it's it's been that's been an interesting sort of discovery uh, process, and that was literally just you know it's one of these things you know you, you you can't have any clients. I have a little home studio, so I can't have any clients coming, um, uh-huh. and and my family are. Like my wife and my, my daughters and everything, they they are sick to death <laughs> of having to stand in as models, you know. So it's you know, there's there's no other there was no other uh, no other option than yeah. experimenting on myself. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, a, a, another analogy for it is if you're if you compare photographers to musicians, especially like something like a jazz musician or something, right? You, you put in the time running the the scales doing drills uh and repetitive exercises but when it comes to it and you're on stage playing a solo you're not thinking it's it's instinctive but through the exercises you discover 
things that you wouldn't have thought of just through conscious thought. You, you go, oh, I like playing that. Mm. I like listening to that, but I like playing that. And that and that's how you kind of develop your own style. So it's, um, there'll, there'll be styles of photography that you see that you really like and maybe want to copy, but through doing your own practice, either selfies or pictures of friends and family, mm you discover stuff that you like to create that's going to be slightly different to what you like to enjoy from other people. And that's, that's how you create your own vision. I think. I think music is a really good analogy because in, in music it's, it's a, um, it's a matter of, you know, you imitate other artists and you get used with those styles, but the end, the end product that is you will always be a combination of all of these different influences, you know, over mm -hmm. time. Um, sure. I, I don't know if you, if you know this, but, um, But uh, Nick and myself, our background is in music, actually. So that's okay. You know, so that's. Uh, do Do you play? I, there's a guitar just on the floor here. Right. I, I wouldn't say that I play with any degree of skill anymore. I, yeah, in my teens and early twenties, I played around in in bands, playing in pubs. Yeah, oh, I great. think photographers did. Yeah, it seems <laughs> quite a natural. Because um, that was that's the thing for me. You know, I um, I, I simply moved from being on stage to to start to photograph the things. That are, that are happening on stage. Oh. And that was my, my way into uh, into photography. It was actually through photographing bands and, okay. uh, and artists yeah. and stuff like that. I, I mean, I, I guess it just comes down to it being a, a, a creative instinct that that is particularly strong. And I guess when you're in your sort of mid to late teens, the thing that's most obvious is to be in a band, right? Because that's the coolest thing. Yeah. Being a photographer maybe doesn't become cool until you're a little bit older. Mm. Um, But yeah, you, you just want the, the the rock and roll lifestyle, right? Yeah, well, exactly. Plus, I was, you know, I I knew that uh, there was something in it uh, as far as photography was concerned. When when I realized that the the one thing that really interests me about stage shows is the lighting. <laughs> I've always been totally mm -hmm. fascinated by the way things are lit, and so you know, as uh, and colors and stuff like that. So you know, it, it wasn't that transition wasn't a, it wasn't very hard for me to make to make that transition, mm -hmm. uh, and plus. Just I think like most creatives, it's actually you know the the uh, the process of making something that's the that's where my interest lies. You know, making you know writing a song, uh, or a piece of music, or, or or making a photograph, or making a video, or you know that's the thing that that really tickles me. So it's yeah. the the you know there isn't much of to me personally there isn't much of a difference there. Um, Absolutely, I mean I you know I I think everybody does it in 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 a different way. Um, I, you know, I, I dislike the idea that there are creative people and non-creative people. I think creativity yeah. is, it's a, 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 as natural to every human being as, oh, okay. as breathing. Um, it's just that we find different outlets for it and different ways to make it satisfying for our own individual circumstances and, and you know, who we want to be and, and yeah. how we want to be perceived. But yeah, you know, some people find creativity in doing housework and having a, a perfectly ordered house. Um, I'm I'm not one of those. <laughs> hi, <laughs> hi, mom. <laughs> um, or you know, it could be it, it, yeah. it can be anything. But we're, we're all sat, we're all scratching the same itch. Um, yeah. Just we're we're finding different ways to do it. Mm. Um, and some people are so uncompromising or unimaginative with it that they end up insisting that that's how they make a living. Um, and, and those are the people that have got yeah. the, 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 what's the words, the stubbornness to, to actually make a career of it. 
I yeah. think. Well, I mean, Nick is actually one of these people. You know, Nick's like, he, he's insanely creative when it comes to like filmmaking and like uh, putting videos together and everything else. Uh, but then at the same time, he's, he's, I actually think, um, and correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong, Nick, but I think you get, you can get very creative when it comes to organizing things as well. You just made me sound very boring. <laughs> no, no, no. No, I'm saying this because this is like, I think for, for people who've, who've been following this podcast um, for a little while, this is like the, the main, dist- well, one of the big distinctions between Nick and me is is, is that I'm um, insanely chaotic and uh, Nick is is the organized part mm. of the show. Okay. So <laughs> I, I probably wouldn't be able to handle your desktop, Ivan. That would uh, <laughs> send me over the edge. <laughs> oh, yeah. But it's Doesn't organized it? chaos though, right? It works for you, doesn't it? Right. It, it, no, it's not organized, but I, you know, it's, um, it, you don't want to know how many browser tabs I have open at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> this sounds so familiar. Yeah. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> but it's, you know, I, I'm, I'm relying on my operating system to do the organization for me, um, rather than, rather than having a filing system that I manage, you know, just yeah. dump everything in one place and then it's there. And yeah. I, I kind of do the same thing in, in real life, you know, like, all of my photography equipment is somewhere in this room. <laughs> if I can see it, I'm going to use it. If I can't see it, I probably won't use it. So having everything put away and labeled doesn't work for me. Yeah. Um, and, and that's fine. It does work for other people and, and that's fine too. You know, there's just different ways of, of organizing. Yeah. yeah, I'm constantly trying to I'm I'm trying to pick up tips from from Nick as far as like organizing things is concerned, and I, I'm constantly finding that I'm you know very badly failing at it. <laughs> but uh, well, I mean, you know, again, it's, we're coming back to to conversation that Nick and me had like some some episodes ago. It's uh, I started using a, a system called bullet journaling, which is mm. basically it's like a it's a journaling type of system. Um, but because I can make it as creative as I want it to be, it it actually works better for me than just having like you know, to-do lists and, and, and diaries and all that kind of stuff. So I can actually kind of organize myself better using that system because it, it incorporates all that creative stuff that usually goes through my head. Uh-huh. And, and so it, it makes sense, you know, rather than, um, you know, rather than being like too, I don't know, pre- prescriptive about it, if you know what I mean. So, sure. um, so yeah. yeah um, it's good. You, you, you find systems that work for you and, and, you know, if they don't work for you, then don't, don't use them. It, I don't think there's any point in trying to be an organized person if you're not naturally organized, unless you've got things like, you know, daily responsibilities that you're failing to meet. Yeah. You know, if the children are looking very, very skinny and (laughs) you haven't managed to buy them in the supermarket, you might want to start writing a shopping list. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's funny. Um, one of the things I, I realized uh, in sort of trying to, you know, t- trying to kind of stay organized, especially when the first um, lockdown happened, I think, you know, it was, it was easy um, to feel like every day was, was kind of the same, you know, because one week runs to the next and then you, you forget what day of the week it is. And then, you know, you've watched everything on Netflix so many times and it's, you know, uh, you know, and that, that's, that was the point, the point where I kind of thought like, right, I've got to, it's kind of, sort of I've got to structure my life a little bit. And this is actually also then, you know, this is how this, this podcast came into being because it gave us some structure, mm-hmm. um, f- you know, every week. But there's, there's a number of things I learned about myself. Like I, I learned that actually I really enjoy writing with ink. It's, you know, it makes me want to pick up a pen. 
So rather than doing everything on the computer and typing everything, it's just I realized that just by by using this fairly old fangled method, I guess, it was actually more fun. And so as a as a consequence, uh, I now handwrite a lot of stuff. I use an ink, like a pen sort of thing, and and I like it. As it is, uh, it, it makes me want to you know, organize myself more just because I like the way that it feels and I like the way that, you know, this is, I mean, it's just very similar to cameras. Um, I, I always, I make this analogy with, with cameras. It's, it's one thing like for me using my studio camera, um, that's got all the bells and whistles. And of course I enjoy using that, but I really enjoy that little, a uh, fixed lens Fuji X-series camera that I've got because it's got dials and it's all half, you know, it's different. It feels different. I just like it. And it, this thing, I can't. This will never sit on my desk for very long because I always want to pick it up and I want to shoot something with it. And that's 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 really what makes all the difference. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, whenever I get asked for a recommendation, some you know somebody wants to buy some new equipment or you know somebody getting their first professional camera or whatever, and they ask like, which which one should I get? Which one's the best one to get? Like, really, it's it's the one that makes you excited to take pictures. That's the only rule. Because, you know, if if the thing that makes you excited is shooting on film on a, you know, Soviet-made medium format, like, <laughs> go for it. Do yeah. it. That, yeah. that That's the thing that's going to get you out of the not necessarily out of the house, but that's the thing that's going to get you producing work. And, and there's no substitute for that. Um, uh, having a camera with all the bells and whistles, if that's the thing that excites you, then go for it. If, if it's having a, uh, as minimal a pos as possible setup and being very technically limited is the thing that excites you, then, then, then that should be done as well. Um, but, you know, talking about, talk about film, um, just because you mentioned it, like your, your uh, portrait style looks very filmic. <laughs> and, and I know that, you know, a few people I've, I've shown your website to, it's like, oh, I wonder whether that's shot on film or not. Um, is, is film photography something that you dabble with or is that? No, I mean, I, I started off shooting film because digital hadn't been invented. Um, <laughs> okay. So, you know, uh, but that, that was black and white. Um, I didn't really do anything in with color film and I'm going back to when I was, you know, a, a kid, my, my dad was a photographer. So I, I learned, you know, there was a dark room in the house. Um, and yeah, he shot most of his stuff on black and white and did all the, um, processing and printing in, in the dark room at home. So I, I grew up with that, um, you know, knowing the techniques and, and recognizing the smell of a dark room and, and all of that. Mm. Um, but, I didn't really start developing my photography seriously uh, until digital was was quite firmly established. Mm. But I guess there is something of the aesthetic of film that appeals to me, um, not not intentional. But I, I tell you now, if I was shooting film, it would be an absolute disaster because I'm <laughs> I, I like I like the fact that with digital I can rely on yeah. the camera and the computer to do a lot of the organisation for me. Uh, if I had to keep track of files of negs and stuff, I, like yeah, that that would be a disaster for me. So I'm I'm very definitely digital. I've got no, you know, I don't have that fetish for shooting film. It doesn't excite me. The idea sounds a bit off-putting, to be honest. All of the the fiddling around that you have to do. Um, but again, if 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 that's what gets you your excitement up, then go for it. There's no reason why not. Um, it's just not not for me. 
So, I mean, film is, is is also. I mean, for, for Nick and myself, we we're not really um, we're not really used to, to shooting film at all. It was it was a consideration that we would um, just explore it and just see how not not in a professional sense, just for fun, really. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was you know it's a little project maybe that we're gonna uh, that we're gonna pursue this year. We'll see. It's a it's a new skill set. That's how I, I look at it. Uh-huh. You know, uh, that yeah. might be fun to um, to kind of develop. Um, now I know from watching some of some of your videos on on your YouTube channel um, that you um, that you edit in Affinity rather than in Photoshop, and this is I know a lot of people talk to you about why that is. Um, mm-hmm. Now, th- I mean that's that's really interesting uh, for me because I feel like, and this may only be my perception. It, I feel like I'm completely bound into the Adobe system for some reason, right? Um, what made you, um, what made you pick Affinity over uh, over Photoshop, for example, originally? Um, it, initially, it was simply you know in in the days before the um, the subscription model of payment for Adobe products. Mm. Uh, I don't know if you remember, but it was crazy expensive. I mean, it still is crazy expensive. Yeah. It's just, you pay it every month for the rest of your life. So you don't think about it, yeah. but the, the, the one-off purchase price of, of Photoshop was pitched at professionals who were making a living from it. And I guess Adobe considered that they would just take the hit that everybody else that used it would use a crack illegal copy. Mm. Um, which most people do to start off with. And then I think once you start, I mean, my, my process was once I started, you know, charging reasonable amounts of money for my work, I figured it's probably not a good idea to be doing that with illegal software, not, not for fear of getting caught, but just from a sort of moral ethical position. I think, you know, if I'm asking people to pay me for what I do, I should be paying the going rate for the things that I'm using. Um, and yeah, it, it seemed like a, an unreasonable ask from Adobe, the amount that they wanted. So I I never went down that route and I got by with alternatives for, for a long time. And then I stumbled across Affinity and thought, well, actually this does absolutely everything for 50 pounds, mm. one payment. Oh, wow. Like, okay, where's the catch? Yeah. Well, for 50 quid, I'll just give it a go and wait to find out where the catch is. Um, and, and I haven't found one yet. Hmm. And I haven't had to pay for an update yet. And I've been using it for, I don't know, five years or hmm. however long wow. it is, four years, five years. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I can't see a reason not to use it other than if you're so deeply you know into the the setup that you've got that the the pain of changing would outweigh the the benefits of of being free of adobe um then yeah yeah i'm I'm not a sort of evangelist telling people that they absolutely have to switch to affinity but every time every time a photographer grumbles to me that you know adobe's crashing because there's a new mac operating system (laughs) I've updated. I'm fine. <laughs> Don't get me started on that. This subscription thing that you pay. What's that? What, what's this rent that you're paying for a mm. for a thing that you you know like what what's that all about? Yeah. yeah. 
Um, so yeah, <laughs> it's uh, I I will neither confirm nor deny whether I ever used um, illegal copies of uh, of Adobe Photoshop. <laughs> That's statute of limitations. They can't do me for it. It was so long. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's fine. Um, exactly. I mean, yeah, I I, I think. That, that sort of ethical thing comes into it as well. Like I, I've got no connection to Adobe as a company. Mm. I've, I've got no connection to Affinity as a company officially other than that I use their products and I, I work with them on some projects. And they're a nice bunch of people with a good ethos and a well-run company that make a great product. Mm. And that gives me more satisfaction than paying, you know, 25 quid a month to a, a faceless, massive multinational that seems to be dragging its heels and sitting mm. on its laurels mm. and exploiting <laughs> its customers somewhat. Oh, yeah. Um, well, I mean, what we'll do is we'll, we'll put a link to Affinity um, in the description um, as sure. well for, you know, if people want to check it out. Um, it's, it's a question that pops up uh, now and again, you know, when people talk about um, alternatives to Photoshop um, and, and Lightroom. Yeah. Um, and uh, it'd be, you know, it'd be a great thing to try out, I think, at some point. Um, sure. I mean, it, it costs, like I say, it's like 50 pounds or 50 dollars or 50 euro, I think. Mm. Um, I, I know plenty of people that have bought it and then dabbled with it for a day or two, but not moved away from their uh, current system, which is fine as well. I just think it's probably like anyone who's got a, a tablet that they use for um, like a Wacom tablet that they use for retouching yeah. the first week of using the Wacom tablet. Let's be honest. It was hell. It <laughs> yeah. was the first nobody year. liked, but nobody would go back. No, oh, correct. Nobody would go back. Once, once you put in that effort to get over the bump of change, it's the changing that, that's difficult. Yeah. Um, once you get to the new system, you realize actually this is, beneficial and, and better um so i would say give it a go yeah i mean there's, there's always a certain degree of fear of change i think you know that's there um for sure i mean you know i'm just I, this is actually just rattling through my mind i'm like ah what would happen to my like file organization in lightroom and blah blah, blah. you know this is yeah of course that's what that's what you would think um yeah. you know but i i do think uh, it's a little bit like um you know changing camera systems when you've got so much money invested into like lenses and and you know triggers and gear and whatever else and you think like oh my god it's not just buying a new camera it's like having to replace all of that and that very often is what actually ties you into into the system that you're the gen that's in, in many ways that's kind of what i'm experiencing myself at the moment actually you know mm -hmm. um yeah i i think that's different though because when you talk about cameras systems the the biggest thing that keeps you there really is is the the money right to to If, you, if you're a working professional, you've probably got a couple of bodies and at least a couple of lenses. Yeah. So, you're, you know, that, that's easily like £15,000 worth of equipment yeah. that you've got that you would need to replace, um, which is a big deal. So, if you remove that and just said, actually, the difficult, difficulty is going to be that you're going to switch to a camera system where the button layout is different and the menu system is different, Yeah, you'd get over that in a week of shooting. Yeah, you know it, the muscle memory would need to be re reprogrammed. Yeah. Um, maybe the control ring goes the other way. Um, excuse me, one second. It's asking me to leave the meeting. Zoom wanted to update halfway through the meeting. Oh. That's <laughs> really. So yeah, you 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 would you would have um, 
the same difficulty of adjusting how you operate physically, mm. the layout of buttons and how you how you work. But if you removed the massive investment of of cameras and lenses, switching systems would be the same as switching software. I yeah, think. of course. I mean, it is, it's absolutely the the, uh, the the financial tie-in that that keeps you there for the most part. I mean, unless I think unless you unless your requirements change and you realize that your current system isn't capable of doing what you needed to do, and then then of course you've got everything. I, I, I don't really buy that reasoning. I mean, I think unless there's something incredibly specific and you are leader in that market sector. You know, I don't think there's anything that one camera system can do that another can can do so much better that it's worth changing your entire system. Because, yeah. like, if Nikon has got better eye focus this year, Canon will catch up tomorrow. Or, yeah, that's or, true. I think like, it's you know, I mean, it's, I agree with you actually. Um, I think it's it's particularly um, probably an issue when you realise, like, as a photographer, for example, um, that now you all of a sudden you're getting into more video work, for example, then mm-hmm. then there are certain um, certain brands that may not necessarily be as capable as, as others, sure. you know, mm-hmm. and uh, that's, you know, that would then kind of force you to potentially think about changing. So I've got my puppy running up and down here. Well, I, I, I will say for the record, I mean, I, I shoot Canon. I started shooting Canon because my dad shot Canon. So yeah. I had, when I started, I had access to, you know, borrowing lenses from him, which obviously made things uh, beneficial. Um, and the only reason I could foresee now for switching is if another camera company wanted to endorse me. So, uh, Leica, if you're out there, <laughs> willing to talk, um, and we'll see where we go. You know, well, we'll put a like uh, a Leica link in the description as well, <laughs> just you know, for the hell of it. <laughs> and which which camera company would that be? <laughs> which camera? Which camera company would that be? Um, well, I'm, I'm open to offers. I'm open. To- <laughs> Hi Sony, <laughs> hi Fuji. I, I, I'd shoot Sony if they were giving if they were giving me the the, the you know the bodies and the lenses for free. I, uh, yeah, absolutely. I, like yeah. I say, I don't think I don't think there's a a technical reason that you can actually justify to shoot one system over another. Yeah. Um, I think it comes down much more to practicals and financials of what you have access to and what you can afford and. That those kind of things yeah. um that, that's that's far more important yeah totally worrying yeah. about you know this lens is minimally sharper than that lens or, or any of that stuff yeah i mean it, you know I, it's it's funny you, you mentioned your dad um because the reason why i shoot, I shoot nikon is because actually my dad used to have an icon camera that's all <laughs> that is it you know that's how it works right so so many photographers i know got into photography because somebody, you know, in the older generation of their family had a hobby as a photographer or, or, or had a business as a photographer. And so you're conditioned by that and you kind of probably, probably at least start off shooting the same brand. Yeah, absolutely. As that. Right. I want to talk a little bit um, about your, your headshot business and the headshot crew, because you're, you're a mentor uh, for the headshot crew. So for, for those uh, listeners um, who don't know what that is. Could you just give us a brief description um, of what, what the Headshot sure. Crew is? Sure. So uh, Headshot Crew is uh, an organization of 
headshot photographers worldwide. I think there's about 15,000 members currently worldwide. Um, and it works on several different levels. It's, it's a coaching platform. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's about teaching the, the techniques specific to headshot photography, but also coaching how to run a headshot business, coaching on the mindset of being a, a solo, you know, a sole trader or a small business in a creative industry, mm. uh, all of those aspects. Um, it also works as a, 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 a job search engine because it's a, a worldwide network of photographers. So, you know, we refer work to each other. If I've got a say a corporate client in London who has a, an office also in New York, I will refer that work out to a, a colleague over there and vice versa. Um, and, and it just works as a, as a community of photographers, um, like, like many other communities of photographers. But I think the big difference is it's incredibly supportive. Um, and we don't tolerate any of the, the nastiness that can go on in other online photography forums, as I'm sure we've all, uh, all experienced. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> so, um, in a, in a world pre COVID or in a world without COVID, you are, you're also an instructor or a, a mentor, um, yeah. as part of that. Yeah. So the, the, the mentors aren't necessarily instructors, um, as such, I, I as it happens, I am also a, a instructor for the in-person workshops. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the mentors are just people that are selected for, being particularly helpful to other members. Um, so it may be that they're particularly helpful on the business side, on the mindset side, on the technical side, or just, you know, just being nice people and being really helpful. Mm. Um, so it, it's, it's not, um, a, a specific position tied to, um, teaching as such, but as I have experience as a teacher in, in a previous life and I enjoy that side of things, that's kind of where I, uh, that's the, the angle that I have on it. Yeah. Mm. Normally, uh, there would be sort of headshots, like headshot crew um, events that would happen, like in London, for example. And of course, I'm guessing, I mean, all of that's been banked, uh, or at least what you know, it didn't happen in 2020. Is there, is there anything sort of in the pipeline for 2021? Sure. Um, so I'll be doing a workshop, hopefully in 2021. Um, it takes several months to organize. Um, just in terms of getting, you know, people together, getting a venue and all that kind of stuff. So at the moment, I'm not even attempting to to make a plan because who knows how long the, the situation is going to drag on for us uh, here in London. Um, but yeah, once, once we're allowed to, you know, have people travel, for example, because last time I did one, which was 2019, you know, I had people come over from Denmark, people from Germany, people from France. And obviously right now that would be hugely problematic. So it seems a little pointless trying to organize an in-person event at the moment, but we will do them again just as soon as we're, we're able to. Yeah. So, yeah. So let's talk, let's talk a little bit about this, this, you know, the the business of headshot photography, Um, because I'm guessing there always is um, sort of that balance between demand and supply. And of course, being, being in a place like London, um, you know, it, it being a sort of a commercial center um, in in Europe, um, and at the same time also a kind of a center for the entertainment industry. I think it, it sounds like headshot photography might actually work rather well in a location like that. 
Um, well, I, I, I think that that's a, I think it's a misconception. If you, okay. if you approach, if you approach what you're doing as a photographer from that kind of commodity point of view, supply and demand, um, well, yeah, you, you can run a business anywhere as long as, you know, my, 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 my strategy is based on 200 clients a year, 200 individual clients a year. Mm-hmm. So as long as I live somewhere where I have access or as long as I work somewhere where I have access to 200 people a year, I can run a business. Mm. Um, now if I have access to 400 people a year and there are two photographers that works as well, 600 people and there are three photographers, so on and so on, that's all fine. But I don't think what we do should be viewed as a commodity or, or I don't want what I do to be viewed as a commodity uh, because then I think you're into, you know, the, the, the problem of why would a client choose me and not you if we're offering the same thing. And if the only thing that differentiates us is price or convenience, then we're going to be constantly in the race to the bottom. Mm. Um, you know, trying to have the best location of studio, which is going to put our overheads up, but also the lowest prices. So we're going to be, you know, who can operate on the slimmest margin, Mm. which I think, you know, if, if your only interest is running a business, then by all means do it that way, you know, become the Tesco's of, of photography. Um, I'm not particularly interested in being Tesco's. So I, I, I like to create work that, that I enjoy, um, and find a way to sell that to people who also enjoy it. Um, I think that's based on an understanding that if you like what I do, you have to, if you like it enough to want to buy it, you have to buy it from me. Um, if you don't like it enough to want to buy it, then don't buy it. It's fine. Um, as I say, I need 200 people a year and there are 10 million people in a 30 mile radius of the studio. So chances are thanks to, you know, Google, Facebook, Instagram, et cetera, et cetera. I'll be able to reach 200 people a year. Um, that are interested in, in what I do enough to, to come into the studio and pay for it. Now, uh, one thing I've noticed actually on, on your website that I found really interesting, um, because I think it's something most photographers grapple with is fee structure. And, mm-hmm. you know, because it's like, there's so many different ways that you could do it. And, um, you know, I think, especially when you're first starting out, um, in the, you know, in the photography business, you're constantly thinking like, is this the best way of doing it? Or should I be doing it the other, you know, should I be charging per photo or should I have different kind of session prices or, you know, different like packages if you want. Um, and then I saw your, your pricing structure is like so super simple and I love it. It's like, you basically have one price. That is it. That's it. And it's unlimited, just about everything. And then you essentially just charge, uh, per photo on top. And that is it. It's like yeah. the, how did, how did you get there is what I want to know. Um, I, I'm, I'm not particularly interested in, you know, the, the business side of things. I mean, I'm, I'm interested enough that, that I'll, I'll participate in it. Um, and obviously it's a necessary part of it. You know, I need to, um, be, uh, solvent enough to keep the business going and, and be able to eat and pay the rent. Um, so the, the, the sort of simplicity of it really appealed to me. 
trying to work out what's the best way to structure things so that I maximize every possible opportunity and, you know, second guess what every client is going to want. And all of that seems to me like a, a waste of, not a waste, but a, a use of my mental energy that I'm not, I'm not up for that. I, I'd rather be thinking about making nice pictures. Um, so it's, yeah, it's simply set up. Um, it costs a set amount to come into the studio. Um, I don't put any other limitation on that mm. session. So if you want to stay for 15 minutes or, or four hours, it's all the same to me. Um, we can shoot as many different looks as you like. Generally, it works out that the people who spend longer in the studio and shoot more looks buy more pictures. So I'm getting paid more at the end of it. Um, so, you know, that, that there is, I suppose there's a, there's a, a, a small risk that somebody will come in and spend a long time and only buy one picture, but you know, it's not the end of the world. Hmm. Um, I, I'm, I just want to have a good experience during the shoot and a good image at the end of the shoot and everything else is pretty much immaterial. So the more I can simplify everything else that goes around it, the better. And I think clients respond to it. You know, it's, you, you spend ages on a website going, do I want the gold, silver or bronze package? Well, you know, like we know, we know the answer to it, right? Everyone picks silver because bronze is for cheapskates and gold is for people that like to waste money. So you pick silver, right? Um, yeah, right. <laughs> I, I, so I don't care for that. Yeah. Uh, if, if, if this is what your photography is worth, tell people that's what it's worth and charge that much. Hmm. Um, don't try and trick them into a, a package where you get 15 minutes extra, but one fewer picture than the guy down the street. Hmm. Like that shouldn't be the reason that you choose me. You should choose me because you like hmm. my style of photography. Hmm. Um, and, and it's within your budget, obviously, hmm. you know, that's, that's the thing. How, how would someone starting out, let's say, in your opinion, go about determining what their photography is worth? Uh-huh. <laughs> so the, the, the caveat to that is what, what is it worth to you, right? Like what, how much do you need to make a year to live the life that you want to live? Um, and, and there are no right and wrong answers here, but let's say you've got really extravagant tastes and, you know, you've got to keep up the repayments on the Bentley and the, the yacht and all the rest of it, then you need to be making millions a year from your photography. So you need to set your prices accordingly. Now, if you set your pricing based on what you think people are going to pay rather than what you need to make for the life that you want to live, you may well be busy, but you'll be busy going bankrupt and that's no good. Mm. So I think it's much better to spend a lot of time not booking work than to spend a lot of time booking work that doesn't pay you enough to, to live on. Um, you, you may well still go bankrupt, but you'll go bankrupt sooner knowing that that's what's happening because you're not booking any jobs. Um, Whereas if you, if you underprice yourself, you'll have the illusion that you're being successful because you're busy, but you get to the end of the year, calculate how much you have to pay in tax and suddenly realize you've got nothing. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the failure of a lot of, a lot of businesses. So um, if you're coming at photography full-time from having had a previous career, 
which is what, what I did um, or a previous job, you probably have a good feel for what your lifestyle costs. You know, um, if your previous job was paying you 35 grand a year, you know what lifestyle 35 grand a year buys you. So if you're happy to, to stay with that lifestyle, then pitch yourself, pitch your pricing accordingly. Um, and, and, and that's your, that's where you start from. Mm. And how, so that I think makes so much sense. It's a, such a simple way of looking at it, but I'm not sure it's a way that everybody does look at it. Right. And I hope people are paying attention because that's pure, pure gold. Um, what Ivan's just said there. Um, so you, you mentioned 200 clients a year for your, for yourself. Um, and that, you know, just for argument's sake, breaks down to four per week. You know, yeah, give give or take, right? About four per week. How should someone determine how many per week that should be? Because that would then have an overall effect on what they would charge per client. So how did you settle on four four per week? What what, what determined that? Um, well, but based on the idea of, um, you know, I... I had a previous career where I was, you know, the normal thing, five days a week, two days off at the weekend, uh, holidays, sick leave, et cetera, et cetera. So sort of working out a normal work schedule based on, yeah, what's considered to be, uh, you know, 22 days a month, I think is the, the standard mm-hmm. working days. Um, and then, yeah, I like the idea that I work with one client a day. I don't like the idea that I've got somebody in the studio and I tell them, yeah, you've got to finish now because the next person is knocking on the door. Um, so yeah, it kind of, it kind of all flows from, from that really. Um, yeah, tw- 22 working days uh, a month. So yeah, it's, it's four clients a week, right? Yeah. So that's then incorporating what you you determine to be a great experience for your client as well, right? And not giving them a time limit as your, you know, as your structure you were talking about earlier. Um, and then them, them not feeling rushed after three hours knowing, sorry, I've got, when you know full well, actually, if we had one more hour, we'd absolutely nail what we've got to do. That great, great way to do it. Love it. Love that. Love that. I mean, it, you know, it, it's, it's not the approach that's right for everyone. So, uh, you know, I, I live here in the studio, so I don't need to book studio time. I'm not sharing the space with anybody else. I'm not using a, a you know a rented studio by the hour, so it's fine for me to be very flexible. If you've got uh, a shared studio space, that's going to be problematic to mm. to say unlimited time because yeah, you you probably have to block it off on a calendar. Um, so that other people are not using it, which becomes problematic. Yeah. But I think as far as possible, giving that flexibility to the client only enhances the user experience. And it's not about necessarily taking four hours. It's about saying, I don't care. Mm-hmm. Seven minutes, seven hours, it's the same. You want to get the experience that you want and the picture that you want. And the time is not what you're paying me for. How do you determine when that session is done? Like if you're basically, if you're saying to the client, well, you know, you've got as much time as you want. Like, um, do you, is that something that you let the, the client determine? Like when they're, when they're done, then you know you're done or? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of collaborative. You, you, you feel when you've run out of 
steam or run out of ideas or if they've, if they've got a very specific brief, then it's like one, once you've nailed the brief to, you know, like, yeah, I, I don't think I'm going to get a better shot than that, hmm. that fits the, the specific thing that we're going for. So if that's the only thing we're going for, that's the end of the session. If we're being a bit more sort of open-ended with it, then it's, yeah, you, 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 you sense the energy level, you sense the enthusiasm level, you know, of, of, of both parties. Um, and, at a certain point, things come to a sort of a natural end. I mean, it's it's like anything, isn't it? You you sit down and have a you know have a drink with a friend at a certain point. It's like, okay, I haven't got another appointment, but like we're kind of we're kind of done having our beer. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. see you later, and you and you go on and you do something else. Um, and, and it would be horrible to have somebody ringing a bell telling you you have to stop now. Um, yeah that's kind of annoying. So yeah, it's, it's collaborative. Um, I, I guess also as well, it, it can be determined by, you know, the, if, if somebody comes in with, you know, just two different wardrobe options and they say like, I really want a blue background. Like, yeah, that that's not going to take as long as somebody that turns up with a suitcase full of wigs and hats and, you know, a makeup artist and, and, yeah. and all the rest of it. Um, that's gonna, that's going to be a longer session almost certainly. When you first start, like when you first started out, how did you um, arrive at shooting headshots? Was it, when you first started out as a, you know, when you first when you first went professional, um, did you go straight into headshots and portraits, or did you sort of explore other areas of photography first? Um, yeah, I mean, professionally, I've, I've only ever shot headshot. Um, like most photographers, I went through a long period of, of shooting absolutely everything. And, you know, there were iterations of my portfolio that included, you know, a duck and a landscape shot and some people. And yeah, it wasn't really a portfolio. It was just like yeah. my favorite pictures. Um, but just gradually, I, I kind of narrowed it down to what, what do I m most enjoy doing and yeah. taking pictures of taking pictures of people was the first sort of, okay, that that's, that's a subcategory. That's where I want to go with it. Okay. Within that, what do I like most? Do I like taking pictures of models? Do I like taking pictures of real people, you know, um, and, and gradually sort of narrowed it down there. And then when I, when I stumbled across the, the headshot crew, um, I, I remember having a discussion with somebody, uh, a guy who's a, been an established fashion photographer for years. And I said, I think I want to shoot headshots, but like, is that a thing? Can you like, mm. is that a specialization? Do people make a living from that? And he's like, yeah, like that's definitely a thing. It's just a lot of photographers think it's not enjoyable or not exciting or cool enough to do. I'm like, okay, well, that's fine. I don't need to be cool. Mm. I just want to do the thing that I want to do. Um, And then, yeah, through Headshot Crew, discovered that actually there's quite a lot of people uh, all over the world that make, you know, a fairly good living from exclusively shooting headshots. Mm. Um, it's just a question of working out what you want to do and then finding the people that want to to, to pay you for it. And mm. I think you can do that with pretty much anything, really. I think um, the, the one thing I enjoy with uh, when it comes to headshots and portraits in general, as opposed to like let's say shooting events, for example, is is the connection that you have with the person that you are that you're shooting. Um, this is really the one thing I love about 
everything else is that kind of banter that you can have. And, you know, and the, the way that um, over time you build up this this relationship because you get to know the person better and then they warm up to you because, you know, an hour in, they're not quite as new to the lens as, as they were at the beginning. And I just love seeing these um, inhibitions fall away. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I know, I mean, you know, I know that I can pretty much disregard the first, I don't know, 30 minutes or something of a session because I'm 90% of the time, there's not going to be any, any good shot in there. All of that kind of comes later when, when people sort of start to warm up. And I love that when that happens, you know, it's just, um, yeah. So, it, I mean, it comes back to the thing I, I said that the aim for me is that in every picture I show somebody interesting. And I, I think a big part of that is that I find everybody that comes into the studio to be interesting. Mm. Um, it, it, it's, it's a, a very privileged, uh, kind of interaction that we have with people as, as, as portrait photographers or headshot photographers, because it seems like a bit of a stretch to say everybody is interesting because we all know some people that really aren't, but I only need them to be interesting for a couple of hours (laughs) while they're doing what I tell them to do. (laughs) I get to, I get to direct them and ask them questions and, prod them and give them, you know, stimuli. Um, and, and for a limited time, anybody in that context will be interesting. They, you know, we might not end up as being like best buddies and, you know, going out for a beer afterwards. It may be that we discover that we've got quite different worldviews, but it's interesting that process of of finding that out about a person in the context of, you know, them being in my studio and requiring my services. Um, I, I guess, yeah, we, as the photographer, you have the, the upper hand, I guess, in a way, um, and, and you have the, the control. So you get to, yeah, find out those little bits about people's lives and they're all different people. And some, sometimes, yeah, you, you get to the end of the session and it's like, they, they would tell you their pin number if you asked them. It's like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, wow. That's, that's kind of weird, but then you don't see them again until like maybe a year or two years later yeah, when they exactly. come back. It's like, yeah, it's, it's a, it's an interesting, um, relationship that you have with a, with a subject as a photographer. And that, that's definitely the best part of the job. Yeah. Ivan, if, if, uh, just for those, perhaps those budding headshot photographers who are listening at the moment, um, have you got a couple of tips for those guys on how you go about sort of, you know, relaxing um, a client in the studio, getting them to open up to be uh, and get bit so to enable you to get that interesting photo. Sure. Um, so I think the 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 number one tip is that human beings respond to each other. So if you are nervous or distracted because you're worried about the technicals or you're not sure what you want to do, the other person consciously or subconsciously will pick up on that. Um, so you have to be in a situation where you are confident in what you're doing. And, and, and sometimes you have to fake that. That's fine. Uh, there's, there's nothing wrong with, with faking a bit of confidence um, to, to get the session to start. Um, but, but the way that you have confidence is, is through repetition. So mm-hmm. nev- I would never go into a shoot without 
feeling on top of the gear and the 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 setup and you know that side of things if if you've got all the technical stuff nailed down you don't have to think about it you can give all of your attention to the person and if you give all of your attention to another human being they will almost invariably respond by doing whatever you want them to do mm, like yeah. it's you know humans are not that complicated really um and of course once you get going they then think okay this this photographer knows what he or she's doing so they get even more relaxed with you and then you can get even more relaxed with what you're doing and then you might you know try something completely experimental and it doesn't matter at that point if you don't nail it because they already have given you their their confidence but certainly at the start of the session go in knowing exactly what you're doing exactly what you want and you will find that people will respond to you by just trusting you and i think that's that's um particularly the uh, y- you know learning your gear you know whatever gear it is as we've said a couple of times now today that it doesn't matter what that gear is learn it know exactly yeah. what it can do and also what it can't do for you at the minute so that when you are in with that session you don't have to think about anything other than what that what that client's doing um and you you know the gear so well that it'll just do whatever you want it to do yeah there you go the the, the person in front of the camera is likely to be more nervous than you are yeah so you know part of your job is to to reassure them and the way to do that is just to to appear to be confident and, and on top of things um yeah. you know when, when people say you know people ask me like oh should i wear the red tie or the yellow tie like oh definitely the red tie and then you see it, it's like but now let's try the yellow one <laughs> if, yeah. if i said oh i don't know what do you think mm. i'm just helping them to be more undecided and therefore less confident in what they're doing so just you know give them that bit of certainty of like the red one's definitely going to be the one for you mm. and then three minutes later you say now let's try the yellow they they don't mind it's yeah. it's not like you've conned them they they yeah. think you're on top of it and that and that's fine um so yeah that's the number one tip for dealing with humans or dogs <laughs> or dogs yeah <laughs> what's your outlook for 2021 <laughs> like what's your what's your plan for 2021 oh plan um well i mean obviously we've got to get through the the, the this current lockdown and then hope that we get back to in 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 all likelihood we're not going to get back to anything that we could call normal but hopefully we'll get like a tier four and then a tier three and mm. and so on so gradual removal of restrictions um so yeah my, my plan is to to get back to being full-time busy and shooting you know four clients a week mm. uh well, in reality five clients a week and having some time to have some time off at some point mm. Um, and yeah, just continuing where I left off in November, which was when I kind of last, last time I was actively shooting, mm. um, that will mean that shooting every day, my style will incrementally develop. Mm. Um, I'll probably, probably go f- on the technical side, probably go fully mirrorless at some point in mm-hmm. 2021, uh, get rid of the old DSLR, um, and do a bit more teaching, coaching, set up the workshop for London. Um, and yeah, that's, that's all up in the air though. I mean, 
I'm keeping a very, very open mind about it. Um, and just being willing to go with whatever the situation enforces on me in terms of what I can and, and can't do. Awesome. Well, definitely, you know, as soon as, as soon as there's a, a date for a workshop, um, let us know and we'll, you know, we'll, we'll world. publicize that to, um, our tens of listeners all around the world. <laughs> so that'd be fantastic. It'd be, um, be super interesting. Um, count me in for that. Now, one thing we've got left to do, and that is we're going to decide what our photographic project will be for this week. <laughs> sure. The, the, my situation, I'm, I'm in lockdown. I'm in my studio. Okay, uh, cool. So I have access to all my equipment, but obviously, you know, no, uh, no people, no animals, yeah. no other things beyond that. So what, what kind of, <gasps> uh, act we want to take, like Ooh. it being something of a technical challenge or a subject challenge. I think Nick, what do you think about this? Like we did, um, we did a self-portrait, I think in the first lockdown, didn't we? Uh, te yeah, technically it was, it was a little bit of a spin on it, but yeah. Yeah. So should we, should we do that again? Should we just say self-portrait? Okay. Cool. And that's it. It could be anything. Mm -hmm. So it's a deal. Two weeks um, and we'll come up with some, um, uh, with some self-portrait kind of idea. Um, and then we'll be back in a, in a sort of slightly shorter episode and we'll just, we'll have a look at, um, at our, at the outcomes and we'll just give it a bit of a, bit of a critique and a comparison. That'd be awesome. Good stuff. Wicked. Wicked. Fantastic. Right. So Ivan, thank you very much for being our guest, um, on this episode. It was absolutely phenomenal to talk to you. Um, in the end, and I'm really, I'm glad you've recovered uh, so well from COVID yeah. because, you know, thank you. As always. Thanks for having me. It's been great to talk to you. And um, yeah, I hope everyone uh, stays sane and stays healthy through the uh, through the situation. And uh hope this is part at least partly entertaining for people to <laughs> <laughs> Right. So um I hope you enjoyed this episode. It was episode 38. Um as always, you know, uh, if you watch on YouTube, uh hit the subscribe button, hit that bell thing. Um if you are listening to the audio version of this podcast, um on Apple, uh, just to scroll down to the bottom of the show page and leave us a little review. That'd be great. A little star rating because apparently that helps us to be found. So they say, I don't, I'm not really sure if that's true, but that's what I say. So I might as well take advantage of that. Um, follow us on Facebook. Uh, we are on Instagram as well at camera shake podcast. Um, we're also on Twitter. That's at shake camera for some reason. Um, you can hit us up on there, all of all of the socials, all of them. So uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode and we'll be back next week with more Camera Shake podcast goodness. Until then, see you later. Bye.